0: I'm going to invite you this morning that you would open your Bible with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. And as we began this epistle a few weeks ago, we've established that the theme of this epistle is joy in spite of circumstances, the joy of the Lord in spite of difficulties. And today, as we pick up in verse 12, we're going to carry on that theme as Paul is explaining it, that we can have joy regardless of the season that you are in in life because of Jesus Christ. Right now, regardless of the tribulation, of the trial, of the season that you find yourself, you can still have joy. You can have joy in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trial, in the middle of adversity or opposition. Because of Jesus Christ. So we're setting our mind, we're setting our hearts on the Lord. And then in the last few verses, before verse 12, uh, Paul has reaffirmed his love for the Philippian church. And he's told them that he loves them as he expounds this theme of joy. Now, did you know that that is the number one sign of spiritual maturity in the life of the Christian is love and then it's joy. If you truly want to know if someone is spiritually mature, check their life in regards to love and in regards to joy. In fact, a great sign of maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. I want to ask you that one more time and let you know that it would sink in your heart and mind that a great sign of your spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. If things steal your joy, if circumstances steal your joy, if people steal your joy, we begin to understand that we have a very shallow or superficial life. But today we want to go deeper and really set our minds on the things that matter. That way we're not chasing things that don't truly matter and that we really have joy in the lord so paul here is explaining his present circumstances and he related that even though he was going through suffering and he was in prison the gospel was still being spread and shared his imprisonment did not hinder the gospel in any way he was committed to the gospel in fact the gospel the good news of jesus christ was front and center in his life. It was his master passion. In fact, it was since he went there on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him on that road and transformed his life that from that moment on, everything else became second. And you know what Paul wanted? He wanted one thing in life, to know him and to make him known. Would you write that down this morning, that that would be our master passion in life, to know him, And to make him known, he was determined. In fact, when he wrote to the church of Rome in Romans 1.15, he says this, So as much as is in me, everything that is in me, he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. With everything that I have inside of me, I'm ready to preach the gospel. The gospel was front and center. He wanted to know God and he wanted to make him known. In Romans 15.20, he says, And so I've made it my aim. I've made it my ambition. I've made it my pursuit to preach the gospel. Now where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Now you see that Paul's life revolved around the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life revolved around the gospel. The gospel did not revolve around Paul Paul revolved around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it had changed his life. It has transformed his life. What is the gospel you would ask yourself today? The Bible says it's so simple. For God so loved the world. It's the good news. That he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, you can have good news in a world filled with bad news. That Jesus Christ is our savior, is our salvation. And this is what motivated Paul. We're going to learn that. In fact, it was William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, that said this, Some men's passion is for gold. Some men's passion is for art. Some men's passion is for fame. Some, pa- But my passion is for souls. Just ask yourself today, what is your passion? Is your passion for the gospel? Is it for souls? And here you see that Paul, he wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he ended up arriving there as a prisoner. And God was using his circumstances. God was using his critics. God was even using his crisis to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like God in the Old Testament, he used Moses' rod. What did he do? He used Gideon's pitchers. He used then David's sling. Here he uses Paul's chains. And I want you to know, regardless of the situation that you find yourself in or the place that you're in, God can still use your life. He can use your life. How many of you guys believe that, that God can still use your life regardless of it? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 9, he said, This for which I am. Trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. I'm in trouble as an evildoer. I'm in chains, but the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not chained. And notice, here he's in prison and house arrest, and he's not complaining. (laughs) He's not becoming bitter. So many times when we're going through trials, it's the easiest thing to do is to become bitter at the pain in your life or at the loss. Someone said, you can either become bitter, or you can become better. (laughs) It's if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And he didn't complain about his chains. You know what he did? He consecrated them over to God, and he said, Lord, would you use my life? And God answered that prayer. That's why today we need to stop complaining (laughs) and stop focusing on our problems and start thanking God for the blessings because God can use us in every season of our lives. Now, we're going to see three major things in only six verses this morning. Number one, the furtherance of the gospel. Number two, the confidence for the gospel. And then number three, the attitude in the gospel. So if you like taking notes, the furtherance of the gospel, the confidence for the gospel, and the attitude in the gospel. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word? And we're going to begin there in Philippians 1. Beginning in verse 12 to verse 18, I'll read the even verses. And you read the odd verses out loud together. It says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you because we can rejoice and we will rejoice. We rejoice that your work is moving forward. We rejoice, Lord, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the good news, Lord, that we no longer are on our way to hell, Lord, but Lord, we can go to heaven because of the grace that you have provided for us through your Son, Jesus, because of the cross. So, Lord, we repent, we turn to you, Lord. And, Lord, we seek for this joy and this peace that is only found in you. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. You may be seated. We begin from verse 12. As we look at the furtherance of the gospel, this is the prisoner and his purpose. The title of the message is, the prisoner, and his purpose. And you see that Paul is fully submitted to God's will. He's going through suffering, but in his suffering, he's submitted to the will of God. He's not resisting God's will. He's not making his present situation more difficult than it needs to be by complaining. Did you know that you make your situation oftentimes more difficult than it needs to be when you resist what God is allowing in your life? But here what he's doing is that he submitted to God's will, and he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that the things that happened to me. Now, what are those things that happened to him? As we look at Scripture, we have to understand, and we see a picture of it in the book of Acts from chapter 21, to chapter 28, the things that happened to Paul. What were they? They were difficult circumstances. There were imprisonments, there were rejections, he was mistreated, he journeyed through Rome, to Rome through shipwrecks and suffering. In fact, the Jews thought that he had desecrated the temple by bringing Gentiles in. The Romans thought that he was a, an Egyptian renegade that was on their most wanted list. So Paul became a focal point, not only for the religious establishment, but also for political plotting. And he's explaining to them that the suffering that I went through now to get to Rome, the marks of my ministry have been for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, when you think about it and you study Paul's life, he made it to Rome as a prisoner through shipwrecks. And now he's waiting his trial before Caesar. He literally is in prison. He is in chains. He is in house arrest. Paul was the first man who had a prison ministry. (laughs) Literally. He was in prison. He was in chains. And for many people, they would have seen this as it was failure. (laughs) But not Paul, because he had a single mind. He didn't look for ideal circumstances to have joy. You know what he looked for? He looked to win souls for Jesus Christ in order to have joy. That's what he was searching for. And he said, those things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. They have resulted. They had brought a benefit. God's blessing is still in this. God's power is still available. Even though he was in prison, he was not out of God's will. God's work still continued through the life of Paul, and it was for the furtherance of the gospel. His imprisonment was advancing, not hindering the gospel. Now you think about it, when he was in prison, which epistles did he write? He wrote the epistles of Ephesians that we just studied, the epistle of Philippians that we're looking at right now, Colossians as well. And he's informing the Philippian church right now who were concerned about his state, who were concerned about his welfare, uh, who needed assurance that their gifts and their prayers to Paul were not in vain, that God was still doing a work. So he uses this word that the things that happened to me actually turned out or resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to underline that word in your Bible, the word furtherance, because it speaks of a pioneer. You can write that word as well. It speaks of a pioneer that's beating or cutting through a path through a densely forested area that is trailblazing, that is making a way to a new territory. And hear what he's saying that the things that actually happened to me were strategically allowed in my life to make a way for the gospel to penetrate the ranks of these military places where under other circumstances would have been closed for the gospel. You see how he's looking at everything through a spiritual mindset? He's saying, I thank God that he's allowed me to go through this because it's taken the gospel to a place where otherwise it would have not been able to go. In fact, in another translation, it would say that for the furtherance of the gospel, it reads it this way, for the progress of the gospel. For the progress of the gospel. It refers to forward movement of something. Oftentimes, armies or military would use this term, the progress or the furtherance, which means that you continue moving forward in spite of obstacles, which means that you continue moving forward in spite of distractions or dangers, that you're you're making a way into new territory. So Paul is explaining here that the things that happened to him, God used in his life to make a way to share the gospel to the unreached people that still needed to hear. And instead of confining himself as a prisoner of his circumstances, it, it really opened up new areas of ministry. Now, do you see that Paul here is not upset? That Paul right here is not resentful? That he's not afraid? That he's not discouraged? He's not complaining about where he is at right now. He's not saying, come and get me out of this place already. He's saying, I want you to know this, church, that that everything that God's allowed in my life, it has been for my good and for the greater good of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no matter where I've gone or how I've suffered or where the Lord's taken me, God has allowed to use those circumstances to glorify himself and that Jesus would go to places that has not been there, have not been preached yet. In fact, he turned obstacles into opportunities. I want to invite you this morning that you would do so. That maybe you're facing obstacles. Would you look at them as opportunities that God wants to use in your life? Because Paul is turning these disappointments into divine appointments. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't saying, well, look at I'm a victim, or griping, or pouting, or saying, you know what, this is not where I want to be. He wasn't entitled as an apostle. That's the number one way to now lose your joy that you would feel entitled. (laughs) He wasn't entitled. He was grateful for what God was doing. He's saying, God is using this in my life, and he's using the suffering in the life of other people. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes we don't even think that, but we have to trust that God is still working. He learned to see God in all things. Today, can we say we want to learn to see God in all things? Not only when things are going well, but also when things are difficult. In fact, it's that verse in Romans eight twenty eight that we all know, where Paul says this, and we know that all things work together. For good. All things, not some things. That's all things. Not the things that I like or the things that I enjoy. He said, All things work together for good. It may not seem good to me, but in the eyes of God, it's still good. All things are working out together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then the next verse it says, For he whom he foreknew. He also predestined. God has a plan for your life to be conformed to the image of his son. What's his plan? That everything in our lives would make us more like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you see here his perspective in verse 12? That Paul is saying, I want you to know that the things that happen to me have actually benefited not only my life, but they resulted in the glory of God. And know this, God doesn't, waste any time we may not be able to see his purpose in our life we may ask ourselves what's happening right now especially paul his roman imprisonment but god never wastes time and we should be able to say lord i i really am sensing i'm being sensitive to the spirit as to what you are doing in our lives in my life right now and respond properly to these imposed restrictions that god does for us what is he doing He's doing good in our life, and He's doing it for His own glory. Now, when He says that it's for the furtherance of the gospel, we have to understand that today God still wants us, you and me, to be His children, His sons and His daughters, to take the gospel, to pioneer it into new areas. He wants us to step out still. He wants us to share the gospel. And you know how He does that? Oftentimes, He arranges circumstances, so that we can be nothing but pioneers. He will put us in a situation that we will not choose for ourselves, but he chose for us in order for us to be at the place where we can share the good news of Jesus, where he can use our lives. In fact, that's the very same way that that God used Paul and his circumstances to bring the gospel to the church of Philippi. In fact, Paul wanted to go to a different area, and God said, no, you're not going there, Paul. And then Paul wanted to go to another area again, and and the Lord said, you're not going to go there, Paul. He wanted to go to Asia, and he said, no, you're going to Europe. In fact, if you would put a marker there in your Bible and turn your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 16, this is a very important passage that we need to be sensitive of when asking the Lord for direction or for guidance. God oftentimes places us in circumstances that force us to be pioneers to take the gospel into new areas. Acts 16, verse 6 says this. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word of God. It says that the Holy Spirit closed the door. And notice it continues, and they, they, when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. How many times does God close the door in your life? And what do we do? Oftentimes, instead of asking for direction, what do we do? Well, we're gonna knock this door open. We're gonna get in. We'll try knocking again and again until that door opens. But notice what happens here. It says, so passing by Mysia, Acts 16, 8, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. He had this dream and vision. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia being Philippi. And notice what it says. And after they had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them, he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that regardless of where God led him, that's exactly where he wanted to use Him. And many of us know this morning that when God closes one door, what does He do? He opens up another one. <laughs> and he's sensitive for that. Knowing God's closed one, He's opening up another one. He's using me even though I'm going through suffering. Now, notice we go back to Philippians 1, verse 13 now, because he says that his chains are in Christ. And here he gives us a twofold reason as to why the gospel was being furthered. A twofold reason. Number one, it was being preached to the whole palace guard. And number two, it was being preached to everyone else. So notice how he says in verse 13, so that it has become evidence to the whole palace guard And all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. What is Paul saying here? I I want you to know something. The furtherance of the gospel has taken place in Rome in two different forms. Number one, it has become very obvious to the whole palace guard. It was the paratorium. That's what it was. It was the headquarters of the emperor's palace. And now as he was taken into that custody and that protection, He was under these elite guards that were chained to Paul day and night, 24-7. They took six-hour shifts. And four times in an hour of 24 hours, they would now switch guards, and they would change themselves now to Paul. And guess what Paul would do when the next guard would come? He was on the floor. He said, what's your name? (laughs) And then he would share about Jesus so much so that they had to change the guard because they kept getting saved. Now, talk about having a captive audience. That's exactly what he had. And notice what happened there. They couldn't walk away because they were chained in. He was effective in teaching the gospel. They were forced to hear from a man that prayed without ceasing, that was dictating now letters to the churches that, that, that allowed the gospel to be permeated to the palace guard where all the elite soldiers and guards were. Now, if you think about how God is so in control of all of these things, someone must have been praying and saying, Lord, how can we take the gospel into the palace guard, into the army's military's headquarters? And God said, I'm going to have Paul arrested. <laughs> and then I'm going to send him to the palace guard, and there he will preach the good news. That's why no matter where you are in life, treat it as a divine appointment that God, where he has you, there he wants to use you. You may not like that place. You may think, I don't like this job. You may think, well, this neighborhood that I'm in right now, I wish I lived in the other neighborhood. And God's saying, I want you to evangelize that place. Maybe the boss that you currently work under. Or you find yourself maybe in chains that you're at home with with children, you just can't get out. You're raising these kids. Well, God's calling you to disciple and evangelize them as well. But notice what happens. It says, God made a way for him to take the gospel to a place where otherwise it would have not been able to go. And then notice in verse 13, it says this, and to the rest, to the palace guard, number one, and number two, and to the rest. Who are the rest? To everyone else in Rome who met him, including Jewish leaders, they know this, verse 13, that my chains are in Christ. You see, it was very clear, it's very obvious and evident to those that were observing Paul, that he was just not another prisoner. They knew he wasn't a criminal. They could tell by his life. They knew that he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ and his witness there, led to the conversion of many people, even some in the palace guard. He let God use him, regardless of the season, regardless of the condition, regardless of the place. He said, Lord, use me now. Ask yourself, where are those chains that God has you in right now? I heard a story about a brother that said, you know what? I got very sick last year, and I had to go to the hospital. But I was, as I was in the hospital, laying in bed, Notice the Lord put it in my heart that I would share with all the nurses that were coming into my room about Jesus Christ and some came to know him as Lord and Savior. How many of you guys can praise God for that? That is understanding, that is making yourself available that no matter where you are, God wants to use your life. I think of the example of Francis Jane Crosby She is very well known because at six weeks of age, she became blind. But as a very young person, she was determined that she would not allow herself to be confined by the chains of her darkness because she was blind. In fact, she wanted to be a mighty force for God growing up. And she began to write gospel songs and hymns, this blind girl. In fact, one of the songs that she wrote, we sang this morning called Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine, written by someone who was blind, but their vision was set on Jesus. You see, I want you to know something. You won't ever realize Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. And he realized Jesus is all I need because he is all that I have. So don't wait for that next season. Don't wait until you have that bigger house to invite someone to your house to evangelize them. Don't wait till you get the next job or do you get, you get the promotion or the raise or that relationship that you say, you know what, I'm going to be used, be used by God. Step out right now wherever you are and let God use you. In fact, someone said, you want to be used? Then make yourself usable. Make yourself usable. We always complain about what God didn't do. Well, God, why don't you do this or why don't you do that instead of thanking God for what he is doing right now. And although Paul couldn't go outside of that Roman house, you know what God did? He brought the outside world to him. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 28 that many people came to see Paul, Jewish leaders. They would ask him about you know, why, who he was, his ministry, the message that he preached. And Paul saw this as a result of God's now sovereign will over his life. And he was able to see all of these events through spiritual eyes. You know, it takes a person that's submitted to God's will to be able to see what God is doing. If you're not submitted to God's will, you will never be able to see what he's doing. He was submitted to God's will. He was able to see what God was doing. Thank you, Lord. that You've allowed me to go through every single circumstance and situation so that you can use my life. What did he say and if he's in Ephesians 6.20? For which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may preach boldly as I ought to speak. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative. I'm a messenger in chains so that I speak boldly, fearlessly, not afraid as I ought to speak. So we see here that, that Paul had a contact to those that were lost sinners, but he also brought courage to those that were saved. And today that's why we need to have confidence of the gospel. We need to have the confidence For the gospel. Look at verse 14. Here you find the confidence. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is exactly what we need in this dark world today. Not only do we need to further the gospel, we need to have confidence for the gospel. What does this mean? That we have boldness that we have fearlessness, that we have courage to be able to share about Jesus Christ. And it says here now in verse 14, most of the brethren, this has resulted, my imprisonment, my life has brought a benefit to the church. What was the benefit that it brought to the church in the lives of other believers? That they started to gain courage as they saw Paul's life. That they no longer were afraid. In fact, he says, many have gained courage Many have gained boldness in now speaking about Jesus in their everyday conversation. Because at that time, if you spoke about Jesus or you mentioned and preached in his name, what would happen? You'd be imprisoned, you'd be persecuted. They'd come after your life. You'd get excommunicated from the synagogue. But he's saying here, even though they know they could be imprisoned or persecuted, they have now become emboldened or they have grown in courage about God's message without fear. They're no longer afraid of man because they only fear God. Today, we have to understand that, that when you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. (laughs) You have nothing else to fear. Jesus said, don't fear that person that can take from you, that can give to you, only fear him, the Lord Jesus, who has not only Power over your body, but he also has power over your soul. Fear him, fear only God. And here he's saying in verse 14 that Paul's example was contagious. Paul's example was influential. It brought a powerful witness of the gospel. It rekindled that commitment that the church would have. It brought a new backbone to the church. You see, the people were very timid, timid timid-hearted. And they were putting on this holy courage now. They were contemplating the strength of Paul. Why? Because Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. What does he say in Romans chapter 114? He says, I'm a debtor, Romans 1.14, of both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm ready. Not only does he say, I'm ready, but notice what he says in verse 16 of Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, but for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. I am not ashamed. We need not to be ashamed of the news of Jesus Christ. Here we have the best news that the world needs to know about. We should not keep it to ourselves. How many times has your coworker maybe on Monday asked you, so how was your weekend? And we say it was good. So what did you do? Oh, I just spent time with family. But you know, you were at church. And they ask you, oh, really? Do you go to church? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you try to under your breath say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Like, wait, wait. what, what did you say? What was that again? What did you say? You said something there. That you would share it with boldness, with courage. Hey, I'm not a saint. I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, <laughs> confident. And he says, you know, well, you know what happened here? I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed. It is so sad to see how many of the Christians in the church are embarrassed. When you were in the world, you weren't embarrassed of being in sin. So today we should not be embarrassed to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. We carry that cross. That's the cross we should carry. So many times we say, you know what? Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you, what if the gospel is ashamed of you? Are you truly living out the gospel in your life? Are you living truly for the gospel? Because here, because Paul was truly living it out, it encouraged other people. Just like discouragement has a way of spreading You know, one person is discouraged, they start to talk negative. What does it do to the rest? They get discouraged. Also, encouragement has a way of spreading. Because of Paul's courage, everyone else now started to become encouraged. Those that were not imprisoned were encouraged because of the imprisonment of Paul. Why? They saw Paul had a joy in his circumstance, so they were encouraged. They saw that God would take care of Paul in his trial, so they were encouraged. They saw that God would still use Paul even as he was in chains, and they were encouraged. You see, God is looking right now for people, leaders, who are willing to take the first step and be examples. Be examples to inspire others to follow. And here this is what Paul is saying. You know, everything that happened to me, The enemy maybe intended it to stop me, but God used it for good. (laughs) The enemy maybe intended it to slow me down, but God used it for good. The enemy maybe wanted to bring pain into my life, but I turned to Jesus and I saw that all things work together for good. And that's exactly what he's saying. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph now is uh, there ruling Egypt? Second in command. And his father dies, and what do his br- brothers do? They're afraid. They said, you know what? Now that our dad is it's gone, he's going to come and try to get revenge because we sold him. You know what Joseph does in the integrity of his heart? He says, but as for you, what you meant for evil against me, God has used it for good in order to bring about as it this day to save many people alive. We can confidently say what? With the enemy intended for evil, what is it? God used it for good. Good in my life and good in the life of other people. And that's what you see here even in verse 14. That it has produced a confidence, it produced a boldness, it produced a courage in the life of other Christians. So what is it that we see? The furtherance in the gospel, the attitude in the gospel. Now in verse 15. Because not only is there a furtherance, there's a confidence, but there's an attitude that we need to have. And and notice what, what Paul is saying, his perspective here. In verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. He said, during this time, there's also some that are preaching. But they're preaching very selfishly. In fact, they're preaching from envy and from strife. They are preaching because they're jealous. They are preaching motivated by division. Why? Because they were territorial. They wanted to be rivals of Paul. And this group of preachers, notice it said in verse 15, it describes them. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to gain self. It was a work of the flesh. And you know what they had? A competitive spirit. Be careful that you don't have a competitive spirit against a brother or sister. We are not called to compete against one another in ministry. We're called to complete one another for ministry. To work together in unity. And they were envious of his success. They were jealous of his influence. They were very resentful. You know what Paul says? It's not about who goes farther. It's also only about the furtherance of the gospel. And although they had the right message, these in verse 15 they had the wrong motive. And what does the enemy try to do? He tried to sow discord between them and Paul. I heard it said before, the devil loves to fish in, troubles, in troubled waters. When there's troubled waters, you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to come and fish there. He wants to come and, and, and make a, a, a mess and a spectacle there to sow discord. There's some that are preaching out of selfish, now, agendas trying to gain attention or a name for themselves. But also, notice in verse here 15, and some also from goodwill. There's also some that are now teaching sincerely with pure motives. There's some that are preaching uh, with a pure, honest intention to see others saved and to see God glorified. In fact, that word goodwill, you can circle it in your Bible because it means glory to God. In fact, do you remember in Luke chapter 2 where the angelic hosts would be praising God, peace on earth, goodwill towards men? As they gave the announcement of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds? The word goodwill says that it brings glory to God. Some preach from envy and strife and others preach to bring glory to God. Now do you see the contrast here? That whatever we do for the Lord, it should be to bring glory to God. I mean, I think about the perfect example in John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that comes and takes away the sins of the world. He had a massive audience of people that were coming to hear him preach in the wilderness. And what happened? That after Jesus was baptized and he began his earthly ministry, and he he, he had his 12 disciples, the disciples of John the Baptist, what did they do? They went to John and they said, John, you did such a great job at pointing people to Jesus that now everyone is going to him and no one's coming to our meetings no more. And they started to to, to find that as a problem. (laughs) And then what John said, he had the right attitude. What did he say? You know what? I I have not received, and a man cannot receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. Jesus came and took his ministry. (laughs) And he started to baptize. And he says, You yourselves bear me witness, John 3 26, that I said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not here to draw people to myself. I'm here to point people to Jesus. But I have been sent before him. He was the bride. Now, who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice, therefore. This joy of mine is fulfilled. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to give you an illustration of a wedding, John the Baptist says. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. And you know who the bride is? The church. And when the people come to Jesus, who's the bridegroom, and I hear the bridegroom's voice rejoicing, I also can rejoice. This joy of mine is fulfilled. I'm just the friend. I'm just the wedding coordinator. My responsibility is to get to the church and, to meet with Jesus. And therefore he says he must increase. And what? I must decrease. These here in Philippians chapter one that were striving of envy and jealousy, they wanted to increase. They said, why is it that Paul gets to be the one that has all the attention in ministry? We, we wanna be the ones. How come he can do it and not us? Why is it that people listen to his spiritual authority and not ours? And they start to now begin this competitive spirit. Notice the contrast in verse 16. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition. The word selfish ambition is that word contention. It comes from a political word that means to canvas for office. Some are preaching Christ because they're canvassing for office. They want followers. You see that today even in this social media world that we live in that many people even in the church you know what they want they want followers after themselves you're not here to bring followers after yourselves you know what are we to do we're here to bring followers after jesus christ it's not about a man it's about jesus christ he said and some of them are preaching out of ego they want to be the greatest they want to they want to be known It's so sad that some people use ministry or the name of Jesus only to build a platform for themselves. Only to build a brand for themselves. It's not about authority. It's not about position. If you're looking for authority or position, it's not in the kingdom of God. (laughs) You know what you need to do? Humble yourself. Be a servant. Jesus said in Matthew 20, when talking about position and authority, what did he say? He gave a reference to those in the world how they lord over those who they are over. But he said, but it shall not be among you whoever desires to be great. Among you, let him be your servant or your slave. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, they were not serving the Lord. Who were they serving? They were serving themselves. They were competing against Paul. And they started to now be very territorial. People are that way today. Instead of saying, you know what? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know what these preachers were saying? Are you with, on Paul's side or are you on our side? <laughs> and you see a lot of Christian groups that do that today. They hurt the body of Christ. You can't spend time with them. I know they believe in Jesus, but only with us. This is the group that you need to be with or associate yourself with. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not simply in Calvary Chapel Downey. It's not simply in Calvary Chapel. It's it's in the whole world. There's Christians. It's one body. That is the entire. It's not a denomination. It's not a name. You know what the body of Christ is? It's Jesus because he's the head. And we can't create divisions amongst the body of Christ like they were doing it. It says they're motivated by selfish ambition. Now, I want you to look at that word ambition because ambition It's not bad, so as long as it's godly ambition. When it's selfish ambition, you know what it is? It's carnal. It's about your image. It brings glory to yourself. But godly ambition brings glory to God. God desires faithfulness. God desires that you would glorify him. And notice what he says in verse 16. Supposing to add afflictions to my chains. You know what these preachers wanted to do? They wanted to bring more pain to my circumstance. They they intend here to bring more irritation. They want to add additional problems. They're motivated by seeing how they can destroy me, or they want to rise up so that they can gain an advantage over me in the ministry. You see how these people were? They were so selfish in their ministry. They wanted to get the credit. They wanted the attention. Today... It's sad to see how many people want the credit. Think about how much we can accomplish for Christ as believers, how much we can do for Christ in the furtherance of the gospel, and nobody cared about who got the credit. The credit doesn't belong to a man. The credit belongs to the Lord. And their competitive hearts didn't allow themselves, notice, to partner in the ministry and the work with Paul In fact, not only did they want to win for themselves, but they also wanted Paul to lose. And they're preaching out of strife and envy. You know what a humble spirit does? A humble spirit is blessed to see when God is using other people. If you have a humble spirit, you're blessed. Well, God is blessing that church, praise God. God is blessing that Christian, praise the Lord, that his gifts, her gifts are being used. Instead of being envious and jealous. Sometimes God is using a brother and sister, and what do we say? We look at them, oh, we'll see how long that lasts. Instead of praying for them. You see, this is so important that we look at this. Because we need to remain with a humble spirit that we would be motivated out of love. Look at verse 17. But the ladder out of love, circle out of love. You'd be motivated out of love. Because they know that I've been appointed, knowing that I've been appointed for the defense of the gospel. They know that I'm in God's will and I have been commissioned as an apostle to defend the gospel. They know that I am commissioned to defend the gospel. What, are you, what motivates you? What motivates you? That people know who you are? That they look at you? That you get attention? Or are you motivated out of love? Anything that's not motivated out of love, you know what it's motivated out of? Self. Self. Let your ministry that everything that you do would be motivated out of love. In fact, sometimes we care, we're more concerned about what divides us instead of what unites us. And they're creating divisions among themselves. Notice what he says in verse 18. Because Paul has an eternal perspective. We learn the furtherance of the gospel. We see the confidence for the gospel. Now the attitude in the gospel. Notice verse eighteen. What then? What then? Only that in every way, whether their motives are false or true, whether they're selfish or pure, whether they preach for appearance' sake or for the right or for what is right, no matter who's received the credit, the power he understands is in the message. The power is not in the messenger. So don't become enamored with the messenger. Don't hold on. Don't cling on to the messenger. You know what you should hold on to? The message of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he's teaching them. Notice what he says. I I don't care about the messenger. God's going to deal with their motives. God is going to now hold them accountable. They will be held accountable Because in verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. The message is still going forward. And in this, notice what he says, in this, in that Christ is being preached, notice how he says it, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He's rejoicing even when people are criticizing him. I want to encourage you today because sometimes people start to talk bad about you or criticize you, or or say things, or look at you and say, you know what, I can't wait till that person fails in ministry. And notice what happens. We become discouraged, and we start to hear the voice of man instead of hearing the voice of God. Do you see what he was doing? He chose to rejoice even in the face of intense criticism. And you would say, well, you don't know what they're saying about me. They just won't stop coming against me. Well, Paul is saying it doesn't matter what they're saying about you. It doesn't matter what they say about me, Paul is saying. It doesn't matter whether they're trying to compete against me. He was overlooking the mean spirit of jealousy. And he did not not allow it to bother him because he knew ministry was still happening. Don't let what other people say bother you, that it hinders you from doing what God called you to do. Don't focus on the criticism, focus on your calling. Focus on your calling today. So that you can say, they can say what they want to say. I'm still doing what God called me to do. And the gospel is still being (laughs) preached. Why? Because his trust was in Jesus. Now I'm going to give you one final verse, Psalms 4, verse 7. Would you write this down? Psalms 4, verse 7. It says, you have put gladness... In my heart. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. It doesn't matter what's happening with other people or surrounding me, you've put gladness in my heart. And I'm not afraid. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be worried about what they're going to say next or what their plan is against me anymore. That used to bother me. It doesn't bother me. Look what the psalmist says. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. That's for somebody here today who's been staying up all night thinking about that person that's talking about you or that obstacle or that situation. What does it say? I will both lie down in peace and then I'm going to go to sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. For only the Lord who makes you dwell in safety. And in it, I can have peace because I've trusted in the Lord, because I'm focused in the Lord. Notice, Paul is saying, I will rejoice because Jesus is being glorified, because Jesus is being magnified. The eternal perspective is more important than the temporary problem. The internal perspective is more important than the temporary problem. Why? Because it gives me joy. Something that the world can't give me and something the world can't take away. It comes only from Jesus Christ. You know where that joy begins? It begins in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news. And today maybe you've been hearing about that gospel, about that good news, and you want the peace and you want the joy. You want the peace and you want the joy that comes in trusting Jesus. The gospel is the good news. That's what it means, good news.